Hello, and welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast. Here at IFIOC, we love to talk communication. We love to talk motivational interviewing, and we love talking about improving outcomes for individuals, organizations, and the communities that they serve. Today, we've got Casey Jackson on the line, John Gilbert, and I'm Tammy. Welcome to the conversation. Hello again, everyone. We have a guest today that is going to get into something that if anyone has listened to our podcast on values, focus, mountain, all that good stuff, this will be familiar, but you will also expand your mind in some really cool ways. I've got to hear our guest on various podcasts out there. I suggest listening to his work. He has a book as well. He can tell us all about himself. It's Joshua Dittmar, and he is going to tell us about value graphics and what that all means and how we can relate MI to that and how he's doing a lot of massive change at a large level. He's the VP of Value Graphics Research Company, and he's helping global brands, be it PayPal, Lululemon, Genesis. They're, he's using these value graphics to help with increasing ROI, reducing their risk, and improve some of their outcomes with a research-backed values-based approach. So we're going to talk about that how to do that with values and get into some aspects of how do we think about ethics in relation to discovering people's values, how we're influencing them, and just some of the some of the things around that from an MI perspective, as well as Josh, your perspective as well, more generally from everything you've learned. So anyhow, welcome, Josh. And if you wouldn't mind, I know you have some information you were thinking of sharing about what does this even mean with value graphics and how could people get attuned to it? Amazing. G'day, guys. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, really looking forward to having a chat about values and a values-driven approach with people who are already living and breathing this stuff. It's always exciting to talk to like-minded folks. Yeah, this this amazing database that has originally been created by our founder, David Allison, and a team of researchers out of New Zealand has really given us some powerful tools to not just change businesses, but also, you know, change the world potentially and, you know, help us change the way that we look at each other and see each other from a personal perspective through our values. And instead of just looking and, you know, taking in the world through a, with demographic stereotypes. So Lots of fun on the business and profit side, but also being able to make a you know social impact as well is, is really helpful. So yeah, I'll start off with a, a little bit of a story, which will help to provide some context around this you know massive database that we have. We're accurate in 180 out of 185 countries. There's over 750,000 survey responses that we've collected, all anonymously. And we have 152 different languages that we're you know, able to translate into. And we're super, super accurate, more accurate than you need for a PhD at any university in the world. So for all the stats geeks out there like me, that's we're accurate to 3.5% with a 95% level of confidence. So that's just super, super accurate with our research. <laughs> and but this, this whole idea was born out of the thought that every organization on the planet wants to engage and motivate a group of people. Whether it's you know us on this podcast, we want to get people to come onto the podcast. Whether you're Toyota, wanting to sell people cars. Whether you're a you know, religious organization, you want donations. Every organization wants to get a group of people to do a particular thing. And so you know we're all walking around with the question in our heads: How do we get people to do things? How do we get people to do what we want? To buy our products? To you know come to our shows, come to our events, listen to our podcasts? And we always start off this this introduction with a story about three friends in an alley at midnight. 
So if you can imagine COVID's ending, we haven't seen our friends for a while. I'm from Australia, living in Canada. You can imagine if I get to see a bunch of Australians come over to Vancouver, Canada, we're going to go out and we're going to have a good time. And we're at the bar and, you know, we haven't seen each other for a long time. There's a lot of, you know, punching in the shoulders, slapping each other, just really enjoying each other's company. And it gets to about 1 or 2 a.m. And we're like, okay, maybe it's time we we take the, you know, take the party elsewhere. The bar's closing down and we're going to walk back to our apartment. And, you know, it's you and, and you and two other friends. And you start to walk back and you come across a dark alley. And the first person who's driven by adventure sees this alley and they think, wow, cool. Okay, let's go down this alley. Come on, guys. Like, I love you. This will be lots of fun. It'll be a shortcut. We'll be able to get there quicker. Super exciting. Second friend, friend number two, who's driven by safety is like, this is the worst idea ever. I love you guys. We're not going down this alley. No matter what, that's not happening. Like, I love you. Let's go back to the bar. (laughs) Get an Uber. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go back to the bar. Let's call an Uber. Like, let's get back to the apartment safely. That's all that matters. Friend number three, who's driven by friendship, is like, guys, I don't care what happens. Down the alley, back to the, you know, back to the bar, whatever happens. As long as I'm with you guys, I love you. I'm cool with whatever happens. So there's three different people with three different responses in an instant. And it's an instinctual response. It's not like they had to sit there and process, am I 26 to 35? Am I 35 to 46? Like, you know, you know the numbers, you know the the demographic profiling that we have around everything. Nobody sits there and goes, am I a six foot two white male? Does that mean that's okay for me to walk down this dark, dark alley? Like that, no, we have an instinctual reaction and the instinctual reaction comes from our values. Our values determine everything we do. And, you know, the, the way that we market and message and talk to people is through this demographic lens. And it just, it doesn't really make sense. It's a little bit, it's, it's cracked, it's broken. You know, it used to work for us in the past when we had to have certain, you know, back in the day, it was important that you fit a certain role in society and you did a certain thing. But now the world's changed. You know, our, our institutions are still kind of back in this, this olden day way of looking at things, but people have changed. You know, we can go out and you can literally learn anything off your phone. You can become anything that you want, which is fantastic. And it's a part of, you know, we've, we've really got to start talking to people through this value-based lens. And so thankfully there's people out there who, you know, figured this out way before we did, who are a lot smarter than we are. If you think of the science of neuroscience, you think of the prefrontal cortex of your brain. It's like the CEO of your brain. And it has this filter which decides which te- decides what feels good and what feels bad. I move towards things that feel good. I move away from things that feel bad. And that filter is your values. If we look at things from a psychological perspective, which it sounds like where some of your question comes from, an individual basis is saying, okay, if I have a person and I can understand their values, I can you know maybe do a Myers-Briggs test or you know something like that, the Enneagram or all sorts of, there's all sorts of different ways that you can do it. And you lie on the couch and they're understanding your values and they're going to coach you into getting back in alignment with your values to live a happier life. And then if we look at it from a sociological perspective, which is massive groups of people, why did this group vote Republican? Why did this group vote Democrat? Why did this group move this way? Why did this group move the other way? They're looking at the past. So they're saying, okay, what caused people to do this? And those three different you know groups of sciences, they don't agree on too much. They bicker about all sorts of, all sorts of things. But they all agree that our values determine everything we do. Our values are the determinant for our behaviors, our actions, and our emotions in our lives. And so we, we, you know, we took a little bit from all of these sciences and 
looking at large groups of people instead of looking at the past, we're trying to use it as a predictive tool to determine what people will do in the future. And so we're able to go out, we're able to survey people, we're able to look at what drives their lives and use those tools to connect with people and help businesses connect with their customers. Instead of asking the question, who are our people? You know, is often a question. We, I think, I think I know. You know, you might get, you might have seen a big sign in the front. You know, when you go into the office building, there's a massive sign that says, "Our values are safety, respect, and friendship." You know, and it's like you kind of tell that someone sat in a boardroom with a box of donuts and made those three, <laughs> made those three values up. And they're like, "These are our company values," and it doesn't really have anything to do. Who, how, who decides what that is? You know, and there's this big gap. There's a gap between, okay, we think this is how, you know, the information that we have, we have some demographic information, we have some psychographic information, which is really useful. But how do we leap, make the leap between here and there to saying that it's safety, you know, friendship and respect? What we're doing is we're narrowing the gap so that there's more information. So you can go, oh, like it's really, it's personal growth and it's friendship and it's personal development let's say, for example. And then once you understand that, you can speak to the people in the organization. And we, we're removing the guesswork is essentially what we're doing. So on that real quick, that's really yeah. interesting because you brought up psychographics and that's where I was curious, how is this, how are value graphics different? Because, you know, Casey, you could chime in here at some point too of, of how you develop the focus mountain that we train on of that there's a finite amount of human cross-cultural values based off of values theory, at least. And that it's harder to to why a value, like why that, that why fulfillment? Well, for quality of life, I guess you could always bring it back. You know, it's like, at what point do you stop and call something a value versus being more of a psychographic? And I was just wondering how you determine the values and what what is a value versus what is a preference or a desire. It seems to matter because it seems to define everything. Totally. So we think of demographics, psychographics, and value graphics as a three-legged stool of audience insights. So demographics, it's a very simplified, oversimplified definitions, just to pre-frame my, <laughs> my next couple of sentences, but demographics kind of define what people are. So, you know, certain age bracket, certain income, you know, where do they live, those sort of things. Like what, what is this person doing? And, you know, where are they at in their life? Psychographics, we look at it as very simplified, like a record of what people have done in the past. So if we, you know, think about, I'm wanting to, you know, sell someone some green tea or sell someone Red Bull, and I know that they drink two cups of coffee a day, that's really useful information to know. They're already a caffeine consumer. You know, it's great. They, they already consume it twice a day, every single day of their lives. It's really, really powerful information to know, but it doesn't inform me how to get them to take an action on switching to green tea or switching to the Red Bull that I'm trying to sell them. And the values are that that driver behind behind it. So just to you know pre-frame the rest of what I'm going to say is like, we've got demographics, what people are, psychographics is a record, and value graphics is the motivator or the driver in their lives. So essentially, it sounds like what you're asking is what makes a value a value? Like, how do you determine where we stop with all the other stuff that people talk about? You know, they say, I really value work. I really value money. And you're like, well, those are things. They're not really, they're not really values. <laughs> so, I mean, part of this came out, you know, we have the, I think it's the world values index is, is that says that there's 40 values. And what we have after doing all of these surveys all around the world, the research team have actually found an extra 16 
So if you're a stats geek, that's like finding 16 new pyramids. You're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. 16 new ways of how people see and move through the world. And that can change from, you know, country to country or region to region is how they talk about something can be different. It's not going to be a very concrete answer for you. Like the stats, it's because we've done so many, so many surveys and people talk about things in the same way, they start to group themselves in different ways. And so there's a 2% margin for, you know, a group uh, being created or a segment being created in uh, one way versus another. Let's say, for example, we have a, an audience called the workaholic um, investors. These people, like they work and they work and they work, they self-report working 80 hours a week and they invest all of their money because they really care about status and they really care about building wealth. Then we have another group called the life-driven workers who work and work and work and they self-report 80 hours a week, but they're working for experiences. So one of their highest values is experiences. Now they're like kind of similar groups. They're kind of talking about the same thing, but they're a little bit different. There's different things that drive their lives. When they're talking about status, it's to, you know, move up in the ranks and, and invest and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's like a very work focused, but then the life-driven people, they're like really just working for experiences. So if you're talking to them about anything in their life, talk to them about experiences rather than about status, you're going to talk to this group versus the other. So they're very, very close, but there's like these slight differences. And so when we're looking at, when we do so many, so many, so many surveys over and over again and have, you know, thousands and thousands of different codes of what separates people, it starts to bleed itself out. So it's kind of like a mass, like how many people we've done allows us to group them in this way. It wasn't as clear at the start and it's become clearer and clearer and clearer once we had a hit a mass a critical number. So then that's to say that you're, you are able to put them into if you really wanted to overlapping or different, like 56 different values or something like that that you could label and then from that place you have a sense of this bucket with these people with these values this bucket for this people with these values and there might be some overlap in there but there's like a venn diagram differentiation depending on perfect. yeah we use venn diagrams like all of the time as a, as a perfect example what's really cool is when you see people like exactly what you're saying and they'll talk about something in a different way so like the, I'm, I'm family driven, I'm working for my family or I'm working for status. There are 56 values, which, you know, is fantastic that we have this finite number of values, makes it a lot simpler, but everyone talks about them in different ways. But the cool thing is, is we see the same types of people show up in different parts of the world. So where I'd be curious to transition is into the influence part of it. But before we do, I just want to highlight, like we get into, especially in our advanced training for motivational interviewing that we do, we get into values-based activities of trying to understand and discover someone's values beyond the behavior, such as drug use or something that someone might see as negative or antisocial and find the value, the driver, like you're talking about behind it or the, the other happier, healthier value that they want to be different in their life and reconnecting with their family or something, but the value being that sense of connection or contribution. So in that way, we get into that in our advanced training to help identify values and then help people align. And that's where there seems to be an overlap here with us. It's helping people, we're influencing people to help them align with their values. Now, there is, as Terry Moyers, Dr. Terry Moyers and other people would say, there's an aspiration there that we're trying to help them do something, right? 
it seems like maybe there could be something different, at least how I was interpreting what you were talking about, that I've heard other people talk about, we're always in sales, we're always trying to get people to do something we want. It does seem that there could be a difference of influence in that in MI, we're trying to as ethically, unbiasedly as possible, help them get to where they want to go in the cultural context of, you know, compliance if it's antisocial and they're a sociopath or psychopath, but we're trying to help them align their behaviors with their values is the the desire versus get them to do this particular kind of a thing. And so I'm wondering your thoughts when you're thinking about values and helping them align their behaviors with their values, how have you thought about it in your own that, okay, I'm being ethical about what I'm doing in the world and I'm helping these companies do this in a way that might lead to these sales things. But I know that for me, I figured out a way to to navigate this ethically for myself and for how I'm helping people. I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah, totally. Great, great question, man. And I think that it is an important question that we talk about all the time. And since we very first started, like David and our head researcher, this is a thing for good. This isn't, you know, because it can be used for bad. If once you understand people's drivers, you can influence them to do, <laughs> you know, if, like, if you can spin a message in a way that, you know, influences them, like, for example, Cambridge Analytica, which also took people's information. You know, I, st I started talking about how we do things anonymously. Like we have no information about anybody that's answered the surveys. So we, you know, we have their demographics and we always get the right audiences and we have the right amount of people, but we don't know where they live, what their contact details are or anything like that, which is, which is very important on for one part of it, but also just working with good companies. You know, we've been approached by a couple of companies that and government organizations and said, that's not what we do. We we don't dip into politics or anything like that. And it was important for us to sort of set the groundwork of how the business is going to move forward. Because as far as we know, this is the first that has ever been created. The first, you know, massive library of people's values around the world, which can be used as a tool for good, you know, amazing, lots of, you know, finding the intersection between profit and purpose for businesses, which impacts people, you know, from inside the organization and outside, but also having a fine, a very firm line of these are the companies we don't work with and <laughs> staying out of politics was a good smart <laughs> move. <laughs> I know I didn't even think politics, but that's such a good point. Not, not that, yeah. I want to share any opinions or anything, but yeah, that is such a good point that it could even be used for politics. And the, and the dream state would be, I mean, imagine, you know, we have the values for the United States and Canada and Australia. And it's like, what if our politicians were held to the standard of our country's values hmm. and not by other things, you know, it would be, it would be amazing. And, you know, what if we were moving towards the things that, because these things matter to us, you know, like, like belonging in the States is value number one, whereas family is value number one in Canada and belonging is second. And so, and you can kind of see those, there's like those slight differences is like belonging, belonging, being an American is like really, really important, you know? And it's like less so in Canada. It's like, we're like, yeah, everyone up here is like, yeah, family. And you know, like way more, it's, there's, there's a different feel to the country, you know? And you, as they, as they filter down, like those are just the top two example examples but as they filter down you can see the differences in the in the countries and you can see the differences in you know china afghanistan france australia 
Well, and, and this is interesting too, because what went through my mind is this paper that I came across when I was researching some stuff for a partner we were working with that related to kind of like some things that Casey, you'll talk about of like, if someone has 0.0 ambivalence, MI is not indicated, it can't work if there's like 0.0 ambivalence, right? About whatever the topic is. To inform that related to values is something called cultural constructivism. And so there's a paper that talks about cultural constructivism and motivational interviewing and how you can help people align with, with certain things if they come from a certain culture and it's more easy to talk about like certain cultures that might be less pro-social, so that are more violent or something like that to then say, oh, well, if we help them in these ways, we might be helping them perpetuate a certain belief system about, you know, sexism, racism, whatever it's going to be. So how does cultural constructivism fit in, you know, to that? And so I guess where I'm, I'm going with this for you is that at a certain point, let's say we have that ideal of we have these value graphics and politicians are holding back on using that to manipulate the masses in this hypothetical utopia we're talking about. And, and in that process, we're going to have some, again, Venn diagram overlaps and not. So I'm wondering, is the, is the goal of this with companies and and working with someone with friends to like focus on the strengths overlap, like a strengths finder or something where you focus on the overlap. If you were going to work with someone that doesn't have the same values, you know, I'm thinking about it on an individual level too. If you're having a lot of triggers, as we call writing reflexes, where do you focus if you're noticing like values are different, but we share some of these, do you focus on these or do you do anything with the separation of values and have discussion around that. It's just some, some thoughts that I was thinking as you were talking about the different cultures. Yeah. Love it. I mean, you're totally on our, on our page, like something that we do, one of the most common projects that we'll do with a company is like, what do our people care about? What do our competitors care about? And what do the prospects care about? And then looking at what are the, you know, to be able to, at the same time as solidifying our own base, how do we steal market share from the, uh, competitors and also how do we get people who don't know who aren't using either and then like you said you got this venn diagram piece in the middle they're the values that you talk to and if you just wanted to do a program about prospects who don't use either you or the competitors then these are the values that make them unique the ones that are outside of the the center of the venn diagram and this can be done from we did a you know massive survey on high performing call center workers versus low performing call center workers and so we looked at, this was a global study we did for Genesis. Every call center software you can imagine gets, gets used by basically any company in the planet is like through Genesis. So these guys are gigantic and they wanted to do this like survey is like, how do we talk to the high performers and how do we get more of them when we're doing hiring and recruitment and how do we engage them more? And we're able to see the low performers, the average performers and the high performers. And then what are the things that make them similar? And then what are the things that make the high performers different and how do we talk to them so we can now change the culture subtly to engage those people more and get them, you know, and encourage more to come on and stay longer and recruitment and all that sort of stuff. So that three, you know, that Venn diagram image that you were thinking of can be split in so many different ways. And you can, you can look at it, like you said, from a central perspective, what makes them similar? How do we talk to everyone and what makes them different? How do we just talk to this particular audience. Hmm. You know, I started my career in sales 
And so as I learned about sales, it was a question that I was like, what am I doing here? You know, you'd read sales books and, you know, do all these courses and stuff like that. There's a really beautiful book by a guy called Chris Voss. It's called Never Split the Difference. Oh man, that guy is incredible. Just amazing. But he talks about like, he talks about it as like people want to be spoken to like this. He's like, when I get spoke, when I get like, when someone sells to me like this, not a pushy way, not a pressury way. Like he talks in this way that makes you feel like you're important. And then you buy the product and you feel good about it. Like I used to teach sales and I used to say the only difference between a good sale and a bad sale or a good purchase and a bad purchase is how you feel about it. I might buy an amazing product like my, my new iPhone and my, you know, obviously this is a very, like sometimes you buy a bad product that's bad for you. It's like, that's a bad sale. But, you know, from a, from a very simplified perspective, I go and buy an iPhone that I buy every single year because I'm getting an upgrade and it's basically the same phone. Is like, if I have a good experience with the person at the checkout, I'm like, wow, I love it. It sticks with me. I remember the phone. I remember the experience. If I have a bad experience, even if the phone's a little bit better, I'm like, man, man screw these guys. Like I, I didn't enjoy that experience. I didn't have a good time. And I wasn't like, I wasn't, you know, I was sold well. And so it's a fine line, you know, maybe I was manipulated, maybe I was sold well, but it really comes down, I think, you know, good product versus bad product. Are you doing good in the world or bad in the world? And there's also like a line of being like, are you forcing something, you know, doing a classic, you know, stereotypical car salesman, sales manipulation tech, a tactic to sell someone a car, or are you selling them a car that they need in their lives? It's 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 a tricky question to answer, and I think it's it's a it's a good moral discussion that we could talk about for like hours. I think with examples, and I love the discussion because I went through that same process. You know, as I got older and as I went further and further in sales, I was like, "What well, am I doing? The right thing? Like, what if I use? You get taught a line, you know, to use, and you're like, oh, that didn't feel very good. Like that felt a bit greasy. And but what's the outcome? Like, you know, sometimes." I have my own biases when I'm being sold something, but I want someone to overcome it. I don't know how to overcome that myself and a good salesperson will overcome that and they'll get the product in my hands and it will be for my benefit. So, Wow, that's a- really interesting for me, Josh, because it makes me think of therapy or counselors or people that learn MI, like we will, and then all of a sudden they learn that people are using active listening and the awareness comes up. And then if you have a therapist, you now can understand some of what your therapist is doing and you can break it down. And then it almost like that bias, like puts up a wall almost rather than makes it easier. So if they can overcome that with a sense of genuine, authentic, whatever you want to call that, Mm -hmm. there's something there to break past bias. And I think it's breaking past the bias we all have unconscious biases, implicit biases. I have them right now. All that is happening, but how can you try to speak, I don't know, to some sort of truth in the other person, you know, with trying to take your bias, your conflict of interest out of it as much as possible? That's to me some sort of guiding light in there that be it a therapist and knowing another therapist is using therapy with them or a salesperson and another person that is selling to them. How do you get through to the human underneath it? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I, I think like it's, that's a part of life is like, are we going, you know, doing good or, or doing bad and figuring out what that means from, you know, these things are fashioned onto us from a cultural perspective 
And if we move to a different culture, someone might say what we're doing that we think is good is bad. And so it's like really just trying to, it, it is, it's really fun moral conversation, isn't it? Like I've, you know, really feel like we could sit here for a long time and, and flesh it out because there'd be things that inside of each of us as individuals we think is the right thing and the wrong thing. And I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, if we're moving forward generally in a better, you know, people with less pain, happier people, you know, businesses are more aligned with people rather than just being profit focused. You know, I talked about the, you know, businesses are trying to look for this place between the intersection between profit and purpose. And there seems to be this idea that you can only have one and not the other. And what we think is that the intersection between the two is a values-driven path. And when we're able to impact businesses, we're able to impact, because businesses influence everybody. They impact everybody. You know, whether it's the stuff we buy off Amazon, the computers in front of us, like we're all purchasing. Everything was thought up by somebody in a room somewhere for it to be a particular way. You know, like someone designed the microphone and the headphones. And I think if that, if we change the thinking at that level to be more about what do the people care about that we're building this for, I think that generally we're, we're building a better world. This is interesting because it is such a challenging balance. But to your point, Josh, like I'm, I'm thinking about like, one of our big people that that is engaged with us is law enforcement. So there's people that are trying to make a really good difference out there and a really good impact. And so like I was thinking of David, who is one of our main people in our MI Plus membership that is engaged with us. He likes to, he uses motivational interviewing to help people understand hearing and how they mm-hmm. can hear, literally he physically hear better, but people typically struggle with getting, for instance, hearing aids so they can hear conversations. So, I mean, like, again, value graphics in that sense, like, oh my gosh, you you were helping people be more engaged in the world by being able to hear better. So it is tricky navigating this because yeah, that would, I'd say that would be an ethical influence that would be really good to help people be able to hear better Mm -hmm. or get the medical needs that they need. Yeah, it's really it's really fascinating. Like in in Never Split the Difference, Chris Voss talks about this example of where this doctor was like he would just have patients like leave, and they they're like this is he's like this is your last chance. Like you basically have cancer, you're going to die if you don't change your lifestyle. And then they go out and they're like, oh, here you, oh my god, I'm going to change my lifestyle. And they go out and they don't change their lifestyle. And it's like there's him in his way is being like that is is explaining essentially when they're saying this, they're not talking to what matters for the patient they just say the same stuff and the patient's like yeah absolutely i'll change my life this is so scary but they're not talking about what drives their life you know and so it's like from an individual perspective like you were talking about with the hearing aid example it's like how do we influence people to go and you know make these changes because sometimes it can be a do or die situation and they don't do it you know we're not getting to the core of what matters and drives their lives This, Josh, was something that I wanted to bring up before we wrap up with our time, and I know we're coming closer to the end of it, but is this sense of competing values. And I'm wondering if you've dug into this at the massive scale you have. I know for ways that we have talked about it in our training, it could be like a value like Tammy brought up of 
my independence and and having my sense of independence and not being dependent on some sort of vice or something external or could be a medication in the case of you know the the physician type example or healthcare example i don't want to be dependent on this thing i'm independent right a very western especially american Mm-hmm. focus like value in this way. And so then that can compete with this sense of, you could say more transcendently quality of life or Tam, you were saying engagement or connection with others. And so there are these competing values of independence and maybe their sense of connection. And they're now competing to make a decision, just like we all do, especially with the example you gave of consuming a toxin of alcohol and lubricating and having a good time socially, you know, but it not being healthy, but we make those, those negotiations of life. And, you know, different people have to make different ones, depending on your socioeconomic status and the opportunities that aren't equal. All everyone's making these negotiations of sorts of values. So I was just wondering about how much you focused on that, your, your just thoughts on that, on, on how people have competing values and maybe all you're doing is just identifying them. I shouldn't say just, maybe you're identifying them and that's it. Or then what do you do if you are going to do something with competing values from the values graphics perspective when you're helping it's, people? That, that is such a good question. I, I'll talk from a personal ex- experience and then I'll, I'll share a little bit from a larger scale. So I belong to a segment or an audience called the personal growth junkies which is like we've got different names for all the different segments and audiences that come up. When you do my value graphics profile, like I'm like personal growth and experiences are at the top of my list. Everything else is like personal growth, experiences, health and well-being, and then there's environmentalism and some stuff, you know, just below that. But those two things just drive everything in my life. And so sometimes I'll be having a moral conversation with David about being like, man, like what about the planet, you know, because I, I do like organized cleanups on our local mountains and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, but this doesn't seem to like be making the biggest difference. I'm like, mm. am I, should I be just focusing a hundred percent of my energy on value graphics because we can actually change the world, but then there's trash on my local mountain and I need to go and do this thing. And so there's two values that are just like, just crashing together. I'm like, okay, do I just, and they both give me personal growth. They both give me an experience. And so I'm wrestling and what, you know, David has done is he just talks with me about it and he manages to sell me essentially, or explain in a way and help me understand my own, how, which one is going to meet my values the most essentially, because in that moment, I don't have an understanding of what's going to make the biggest difference. I'm like, is it the environment? And this thing in the moment, or is it the investment? And, you know, I feel like I'm giving up on one of my experiences. So I'm wrestling between these two values. And a part of that from a larger scale is if we see two values like experiences and personal growth at the top, how do we talk to both of those values at the same time with a message? Because we all probably have those moments in our lives where we're like, do I go left? Do I go right? Oh my God, they both feel so good, but they both like, I'm going to feel like I'm missing out if I go one way and not the other. And it, it seems to come down to, how we're, how it's explained and how we perceive it. And sometimes that can take some time. What you just articulated there is what motivational reviewing is, is to help people work through those dilemmas. <laughs> that okay. that right there is, I mean, that if we just took that excerpt and you put it on a wall for people that are trained in motivational <laughs> interviewing, they're like, oh yeah, that's what we do in motivational interviewing is help people work through that. Yeah. Because there's not a right or a wrong. It really is how do you help people re- they resolve their ambivalence based on their own value set. 
and that's where they're going to find the sense of peace or settlement from that. Yeah. Yeah. And going, and going back to that, you know, person who leaves the hospital and, and takes an action or doesn't is like, how did they see that moment? How did they perceive that moment? You know, and that's like you're saying, it's through our values. How are we receiving this information? How is the story being told to us? Cause we're being told stories every day and we're telling stories to other people. You know, when we talk to them and it's like, are we the five out of the six keys match up or only three out of the six? And it just didn't really land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we're, we're coming to an end, it reminds me of like a Stanford model of behavior change too. It's one of the four quadrants. And unfortunately, I can't remember the researchers or the name of the model. So it's a bit ridiculous to even mention it in that way. But I remember motivational interviewing sticking in one of the quadrants of this one-on-one, kind of like you're talking about with this physician interaction. And then, you know, Casey, that you brought up from years ago, that book that talked about extra therapeutic factors and just how many things outside of that interaction affect change. And so I appreciate what you're you're doing in the world and, and talking to that point of us having these, you know, laptops and these things of that are going to influence us around products and things that businesses are going to remain. So how are they influencing us consciously or unconsciously? And I think there's something important to be aware of in in culture and get more and more seen values in companies, in people. And in so doing, you can, you know, from all the biases I have and what I've learned with Casey and digging into this, you can transcend some of the behaviors to see the humanity in what's going on. And it seems like there's a there there that if we work towards that together, there's going to be some disagreements and there's going to be some stuff that might be like, I would choose this over that. But if we can keep working towards something like that, it seems like it would bring us together in some sort of a way. And there's 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 a there there that I don't know because it's going to be perceived differently by different cultures. But whatever that is, it seems worthwhile. And that's what I appreciate what that value graphics is doing. And then I, of course, in this utopia, see MI coming in to help people once there is that sense of it. I also see, you know, cultural constructivism and that coming into schools to help inform at a young age. I see emotional intelligence coming into that picture to help with perception of other emotions. And I see this this foray of just all these things coming into like schools and this amazing society that could be values driven, that could have this information to make a decision. But it doesn't mean that we always are going to make this decision of choosing values graphics over cleaning your local hill. And that's where I think that conflict of interest, we all have to check inside ourselves, our own bias to be like, well, I think you should do the values graphic things because of these things, but (laughs) you're thinking the thing. So how do I sell you and explain this to you in a way to get you to make the decision I want you to make in this, Josh? I think that's what we got to check as we move forward with all this. And that's what we, you know, call the writing reflex in motivational interviewing, getting out of equal position. You know, we have podcasts that talk about how do you maintain equipoise, but still influence. But I think that's the key check for me when I think of the ethics of all this. How do we try to check that, but still work in this future direction together with being values-based? So those are just some ending thoughts I have is, I don't know, for Josh, Casey, Tammy, anything else that you wanted to to throw in with or add? When you said that, go ahead, Josh. No, you go, you go for it. What I was thinking about, my my aha moment, it's fun for me in the podcast to have aha moments with this is I, I'll admit I came into this podcast with some, I was braced 
as braced and ready for, I'm not sure where this is going to go, how much, you know, because I'm so anti-manipulation, it's just, you know, I just don't like to be played and I don't like people being played. And, you know, that's my social worker side of myself. But the thing that I can deeply appreciate, it was my aha moment actually in working with Tammy's company when Tammy wasn't with us on the sales side of things is what struck me so profoundly. And I think this is where I, my brain really understands the potential of value graphics is what I realized from a social worker perspective, looking through a sales lens was that if you have an exceptional product, you really don't need a sales department. You really need a good marketing department if you have an exceptional product. And I think that's where I see value graphics like, oh, this makes sense to me because if we just market it well, we just have people standing by to collect the orders then because good marketing will help them resolve their ambivalence based on their own value set, which is different than cold calling and trying to sell stuff to people that they may or may not want. And I, th I think it's probably too rudimentary and oversimplified. But for me, I think that's what was helpful through this conversation is it really reinforces my belief that if it's an exceptional product, who wouldn't want it? Like if that fits their values and it fits their lifestyle, I just want to, I want exceptional products, but I just don't want to be sold anything. And I think that's what helps me in this dialogue, listening to what you talked about, Josh, is that that helps delineate between the sales side and the marketing side from the kind of sales perspective. But when you step back from the value side of it, it's like, well, you're helping people that really would find the product, you know, value added in their life, get access to that in a way their brain can, you know, comprehend it in a way that lines up with their own value set. So that, mm -hmm. that I just, this, I really appreciate this because it helped me make clear about certain things that still were a little fuzzy in my, my brain, just in the way that I look at how I communicate and talk and about what we do as well too. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. If we can change the way, like this is bigger than, you know, us, it's bigger than <clears throat> if we can change the way that we look at each other instead of we're programmed to look demographically, we're programmed to see someone look a certain way on the, in the desert and be like, okay, that person's going to kill me. I'm going to run away. And, you know, we just don't, we don't live in that, in that world very much anymore. We still do to some extent, but what we're really, what we're really doing is we're trying to, you know, we're not going to cure racism, homophobia, ageism, and all these things. But if we can turn the dial down from where it's at right now, what it seems like is an 11 out of 10, if we can help to turn the dial down to a seven or an eight, hopefully even lower, I think that that's, that's building a better world. You know, if we can start to look at each other through a values, value graphic lens and say, you know, like these people are more like me than they look, then we can really start to, you know, create a more cohesive and a better, better world. And it comes from changing the way that we look at each other. And that's, that's really at the core of what, you know, besides better businesses, intersection between profit and purpose and all that stuff, like that's really what we're driving for and what we're hoping for. And, and it sounds like you guys are, are doing the same as well. So 100%. Yeah. 100%. And that's, yeah, it's, it's fun to listen to other people out there in that charge, <laughs> yeah. you know, with that mission. Totally. With the level of massive impact you're having. Thank you for what you do. And, and yeah, it's like obviously leading a lot of helpful things at a massive level. We're going to, you know, keep as individual and organizational change as our institute is called, keep, keep that going. Mm -hmm. And I'll just point to some degree of motivational reviewing being a way to to help with this for anyone that hasn't gone through that i just want to throw that out there for intro advanced training or whatever it would be be it with us or otherwise we have our own resources we provide 
But I just want to mention that because it's a way of discovering someone and co-discovering things within them. But more importantly, to your point, Josh, I perceive it as a way of seeing and treating another human. And in seeing them in a different light, I now can see the humanity and and transcend the demographics more. And the values are one way to do that. And hopefully in that process, given we're in a capitalistic culture currently, that will relate to more, not just conscious capitalism, but compassionate capitalism that yes, is values driven with a place of compassion, which I think is what we can all kind of attune to that bringing it together from what Bill, Dr. Bill Miller and Stephen Rolnick put in the, the third edition of motivational Gosh, interviewing yeah. is that place of compassion and coming from that place. So I think as long as we got that as our, our guiding light, we're, we're going to end up somewhere good. So Josh, I can't thank you enough. I know that we had talked beforehand. If people are interested in your work or reaching out to you, where can they find you? What well, is some information related to that? Yeah. If you just search value graphics, we are everywhere possible where you can find value graphics on Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the stuff. And then if you yeah, want to shoot me a line, it's just josh at valuegraphics.com. You'll hear from our assistant, Abigail, and she can, she can guide you wherever you want to go. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add or anything for closing thoughts or anyone else that I'd like to add before we wrap up? Yeah. I just think like looking at your own life and seeing how different the people are that are in it, you know, and just, just looking at your own life and be like, wow, I'm already living a values driven life because the people around me are around me, not because they look sound and smell exactly like me. They're around me because we talk about the same things and we care about the same things in our lives. You can look around in your life and appreciate how I think things sound worse than they are if we listen to the media and you, you know, if you're on social media or, or whatever, like things sound worse than they are. And I think that people are really coming together and we're moving forward in a beautiful way that is more conducive to, you know, peace and togetherness. Togetherness is, you know, the togetherness values, there's five of them, family, relationships, friendship, community, and love. And those five values are what you know, they show up in a different way uh, everywhere around the world in the top 10. So sometimes it's community and relationships, sometimes it's friendship, you know, but they show up at the top 10 everywhere in the world in some different variation. And these are the things that make us human. Human beings love being together. And if you just look around in your life, you can see that you're already living a values-driven life. Love that. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Again, thanks for being yes. on here. This was This was wonderful we get a chance to talk again yes. Thanks, all right Rose. well hopefully you all got to enjoy that are listening to this and you know where to find josh you know where to find us at ifisc.com and all sorts of resources if you want to see people from this light we are one way to do that and uh, another way is through value graphics so hopefully it's been well josh powerful closing comments thank you and uh, take care everyone see you next time Thank you for listening to the Communication Solution Podcast. As always, this podcast is all about you. So if you have questions, thoughts, topic suggestions, ideas, please send them our way at Casey at IFIOC.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y at IFIOC.com. For more resources, feel free to check out IFIOC.com. We also have a public Facebook group called Motivational Interviewing Every Day. We have an amazing blog and we have lots of communication tips on our website. 
In addition to all these amazing resources, we do offer online public courses on our website on motivational interviewing and effective communication strategies. Thanks for listening to the Communication Solution by IFIOC.